This podcast discusses content that may be triggering for some listeners. Please be advised, discussions include gambling language, types of gambling, and addiction. Hello and welcome to the Hidden Addiction Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Mid-Hudson Problem Gambling Resource Center under the New York Council on Problem Gambling. Across New York State, we have seven resource centers dedicated to connecting individuals to care. We are here to increase awareness about problem gambling and advocate for support services for persons adversely affected by problem gambling. Gambling is defined as risking something of value on a game of chance. There can be many types of gambling and it can affect anyone at any time in their life. It may not be talked about often and kept in the dark, but we hope this podcast sheds light on the hidden addiction of gambling and brings forth resources and information for you to use. and welcome to the Hidden Addiction Podcast. I'm Colleen Jones with the Mid-Hudson Problem Gambling Resource Center. I'm Amanda Quintana, also with the Mid-Hudson Problem Gambling Resource Center. Today, uh, we are joined by Scott Meyer, who is a certified peer recovery advocate with the New York Council on Problem Gambling. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. How are you? Very good. Thank you. So, Scott, uh, to get started, if you could just tell us a little bit about your journey um, your recovery from, you know, when do you start gambling? What your recovery look like? All, all the good stuff. Well, that's uh, an interesting story. Probably have to go back a long ways. Gambling really has been a part of my life for a big part of it. So remember back when you're 10 years old and you're learning how to play blackjack sitting on your father's lap or you're in your mid-teens and you organize a card game with the friends you reach that age, that magical age when you can go to the casino and, and, and gamble. So, you know, those exciting milestones were a big part of my life. And, you know, the thing about gambling was it was very much fun. It was entertainment. It was something we did to have laughs, to be together, to just have a good time. And, and that's what it was, whether it was when I was 15 or 18 or 21, and then later, gambling was, was entertainment. It became part of, instead of going to a ball game or to a show or whatever, it was, let's go to the casino, have dinner, have some fun, uh, go to a show, dance, right? Have a lot of laughs and gamble. That was the order. The gambling was the fun part of it. And it was. And I don't take that away from anybody where you can find that form of entertainment and have a good time. It became the complete opposite for me at some point where gambling took over. Gambling was the priority. Gambling was the focus of a lot of decisions I've made. 
I don't recall when exactly that was, but it was clearly a moment in time where my focus was on how can I bet? How can I get to the casino? And, you know, what, what to do to get there? And it was, it became easy because I was invited there. I was encouraged to go there. Funny enough, I was encouraged to go there by my wife because there was perks. There was concert tickets. There was all these things that drew me there. Um, but when I got there, nothing else mattered for me. Nothing. It didn't matter that I was married, that I had kids, that I had a mortgage, that I had a business, that I had any, any responsibilities at all. It was how far can I go? How much can I gamble? And it slowly and progressively became such an addiction, such it just took over everything that I thought of. I didn't even know what was around me when I gambled. And it was so destructive, forget about financially destructive. It was so destructive in changing my personality, changing who I was, who, who my wife married. The man that was so eager, so motivated, so enthused with life. We have five children. I've been with my wife since we were 15 years old. This is the woman that made who I was. And, and the gambling then changed that. So to focus on, on, on the type of gambling, it was, it was casino-based, it was video-stimulated, it was slot machines. And then when I received a little disc in the mail, you know, that shows my age a little bit, but I received a disc in the mail and I plugged it into my computer within 30 seconds. I was in, on an online gambling site. Illegal or not, it didn't matter. It didn't because I was on and within a minute, my account was funded and I was playing. And what that did was brought to casino to wherever I was. I could be downstairs in my home office. I could be at my office. I could be on a little bit later on when the handhelds got a little bit more sophisticated. I can gamble 24 hours a day. That in conjunction with the casino totally destroyed the person that I was. It was so devastating that it took all my focuses, all my focuses to running my business, creating a financial stability for my life, for my family, um, developing relationships in the community, continuing my contribution to the local parish. All these things became second to how can I gamble? Our family trips were focused around gambling. Wherever they were, Aruba, Bahamas, Connecticut, Jersey Shore, it, it didn't matter. It was focused on gambling. How can I get to a facility, make my family happy, and 
gamble because that's all that mattered. I, I would sneak away, I would gamble and, and really the disgusting part of it was, is no one knew because we are masters, masters at lying, especially in an addiction as the podcast indicates, hidden. No one could look in my eyes and see that I was gambling. No one could look and smell my breath and, and tell me that I was a gambler. It wasn't possible. And being my profession is, is being an accountant. Being an accountant, I handled the books. I handled the bills. I handled the bank statement. We had five children. My wife was taking care of raising the kids. I was starting my business. I was doing all the financials. And I lied to this woman. For 10, 12 to 13 years of total madness and destruction just took away every bit of security that I had in myself, in my business, in my financial ability to, to pay my bills. Ah, uh, just, it was, it was just so incredibly uh, amazing, if you will, uh, in a sense of what it can do to an individual who, when I tell you, had everything you could possibly even think about wanting. A beautiful wife, your best friend, five healthy, wonderful children just growing up to be incredible people. A business, I started my business when I was 29 years old. I opened up my own firm. And it took all that and crumbled it just destroyed it. I don't remember exactly when it became a problem for me, but clearly it did. The problem, I, I, I associate the time frame to be somewhere around 33, 34 years old. And it was 12 to 13 years from that point that everything came crashing down. And it was a slow, progressive Destruction. I keep saying that word, but it really was. To the point where, where I was looking for every resource that is possible available to me, borrowing from clients, borrowing from friends, taking from my 401k, taking from my business, taking from everything you can, anything that was available that wasn't screwed down to the ground, I would take and use for gambling. Not to better my life, but to fix what I caused either the night before or the week before or whatever, because I didn't know how I was going to get to the next day. There was times where I was driving home and I literally got my car up to 130 miles an hour. And I was just wanted to turn the wheel and, and flip and let God take take control from there. That's where I was. And that was before I hit rock bottom for what I call the final time. I hit, I hit the brick wall, swore I wasn't gonna gamble, never gonna do this again, get a few hours sleep, go to work, maybe not gamble for a couple of days, 
and then figured it out and then went right back. And every single time I went back to gambling, it was harder and stronger and faster. My rock, rock bottom was when uh, two DA detectives showed up in my front door and put handcuffs on me. I'm not embarrassed, I'm ashamed, but it was the worst day and the best day of my life. Because I knew at that point that it had to stop. It had to. It is the worst possible feeling you could ever imagine having, just being taken away from your wife, who's standing at the door saying, what the hell? No, no idea of why. And this is really how, how bad it was. She says, okay. And this is what she tells me the next day after she got me out. I can go to the bank. I have that money that's in my name only. I can get that money. I'll get them out and we'll figure out what's going on. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. And that was immediately her only solace was that, okay. She went to the bank the next day to get that money because my bail was set at a very high amount of money to get the money for the bond, the insurance. And there was nothing in the account, nothing. Thank God I have incredible people in my life who put up their home to get me out of prison. And from that point on, I didn't have a choice. I had to be honest. Which, by the way, stopping gambling at that point, so that was in 2013. So it was 12 or 13 years after the beginning of the destruction. That was the bottom. That was the, that was the bottom. That was the end. That was the beginning. I can't tell you that the hardest part of this was stopping gambling. That became the easiest part because I could not gamble. I, I, I just couldn't. The hardest part was getting Scott back, getting the person that was lost, that was just floundering in, a, in, in, in an incredible world of a beautiful family, a thriving business, and gambling. It took a long time for that to come back. I ended up going to prison for things that I did that were 100% relating to, related to gambling. The decisions that I made were to fix my issues. Now, everybody will say, you know, you took the money to pay your mortgage, you, took the, the, you did this to, to, to pay your bills, you did this to have an extravagant lifestyle. Uh-uh. <laughs> it, it was a horrifying decision-making process that just, again, took over my, my decision-making ability at that time. I'm very willing to, to share this because I'm not alone. My story isn't unique. Well, we, all our stories are unique, but there's so many people that are suffering with this disease that are suffering and don't know how to get out. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to be truthful to their girlfriend, to their spouse, to their mom and dad, to their 
to their employer, to their community. It, it's, it's very hard. So uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, Amanda and I thank you for coming on and sharing your story because I think one of the things you mentioned, you know, in the name of our podcast is the hidden addiction, right? And as you're telling your story, I mean, there's a few things there that I kind of pick up on about, you know, lying, right? That's one of the warning signs that we talk about the preoccupation with gambling. Your family trips were centered around gambling, the depression, the anxiety. You said, you know, you changed as a person that, you know, irritability, your mood swings, all of those things were, while they might not be as obvious as some of the other, you know, addictions that are out there. I think it's definitely when we're listening to your story, you know, we absolutely are kind of connecting some of those warning signs. It's very true. And when you have five children and you have your own business and you're trying to make it in this world, right? You're trying to build your business and raise your family and, and do this um, in, in this world, the anxiety and the depression and the, the worry is, 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 is something that would be there. So to, to attribute it to those things was very easy. Oh, the kid's sick. Oh, we got to pay this. Oh, we got to build this. You know, it was very easy to hide all the anxiety that I was having and attribute it to things that really weren't the real cause of it. Because if I wasn't gambling, those anxieties would have just come out as, as like, these are, these are good things in life. Your kids are growing. They're going to get sick. You're going to have struggles, but they're, they're all manageable if you're focused on, on what's important. And I was not focused on what was important at all. My recovery was not easy. Learning how not to lie. And, and, I'll, and I'm, I'll go back a little bit. So my wife gets me out of prison. So now we start to battle this case. And so, you know, that, that, that whole pressure of, of dealing with that uh, is, is now on top of now dealing with the fact that you destroyed your reputation in the community. You supposedly destroyed your reputation. You supposedly destroyed um, relationships. You destroyed your financial stability for sure. I mean, that was clear and evident, but the recovery part of just learning how to be Scott again was really hard. And I can tell you right now that your people that are in your life, the professional connections that you make, you know, my, my connection to the New York Council dated prior to me even getting treatment from the New York Council. So my connection with the New York Council was reaching out and finding, what do we do? My wife, tremendous advocate for promo gambling because she saw how it destroyed a hero to, their, to, their, to our children. So you know our, our connection to the New York Council goes back prior to me getting services. And it's an incredible resource for, for anybody who's struggling. And back then, to today, the New York Council is just a, a, an amazing organization, right? And they have just expanded their, their web uh, of, of treatment, of resources, of people who really care about, about us, about the, the gambler who, who needs help. 
and I, and I love telling the story and I know my mother-in-law would love it too, because it, it's, it's really, it's just an amazing one liner set statement. We were sitting at Thanksgiving the first year I was home after spending two years upstate in a, in a lovely, beautiful, disgusting place was sitting at Thanksgiving dinner and I get, I just heard it. And I, I, you know, I just smiled inside. I was just so warm and cozy inside. As my mother-in-law said to Kim, my wife, Scott's back. And it was just, and she wasn't talking about physically present. She was talking about Scott's back. There he is. He's, he's connected. He's, he's here. He's where he's supposed to be. Um, and, and that was just like, so rewarding to me to know that I made it, you know, part of my recovery, the day after I got out, bailed out of prison, I walked into a GA room. No one told me I had to go other than my wife and I, okay. We, I needed something because we were learning, believe it or not, we were learning about the addiction, about how. How can someone who runs their own business, runs their own accounting practice, has a financial advisory services business, all about the numbers, how can someone with that type of education and professional experience allow, allow gambling to become the destruction, their addiction? How? So I walk into a local GA room and I couldn't care if, if I walked in there and I saw 50 people in, I knew I didn't care. A lot of, and a lot of people are hesitant with that. I went, to, I went to the one right in my town. And I said, if I see someone, I don't care. I walked in and I saw about 38 people sitting around. Everybody's head turned. Oh, there's a newcomer, right? I sat down, spoke to a few people. And I just had such a feeling of capital H, capital O, capital P, capital E, hope. I said, oh my God, I'm not alone. And I have people that I can rely on. I, can, I have people that I can go to whatever I need. But the biggest thing I got out of there was hope. If these 38 people can recover, so can I. And that was the true beginning of, of my, um, you know, my recovery was that first day at, at, at GA. That, that's where it began. And then, then you know, I, of course I had to go, uh, go away to college. As I always say, I went away to college, uh, the best education that, that one can get. Uh, I don't recommend anybody ever going there again. But when I came out, I was, I was told that I had to formulate my own recovery plan. Well, fortunately, I was, so you know where I'm at, I was, I was offered to participate in a work uh, release program. So what, what could have been a, an extremely long sentence in college, in two years, I was transferred to a, lo to a local uh, work release program. And I was told at that point, in order to participate, I had to formulate my own recovery plan. And I assessed very quickly, it's because they didn't know what to do with the gambler. Sadly, but 
factual. Reached out to a mentor of mine, someone you all know, Steve Block, and he connected me with, which, which was actually the first uh, resource center with the New York Council in Queens, the Queens Center for Excellence. And one phone call connected to a clinician and my second phase of recovery began. And that clinician was an amazing, incredible resource for me. She allowed me to feel sorry for myself for quite some time and allowed me to just get it out. Like, you know, the past, the past, the past, the past, the past. It was all about, I couldn't get over the guilt. I could not get past what I did. And then about six to eight months into my clinical treatment with, with this amazing woman was a smack across the side of my head, metaphorically speaking, of course. She didn't really smack me, but it was hard. It was a smack that I, and she's like, enough. Okay, I gave you your time. It's enough feeling sorry for yourself. And we need to start going forward. It's very important that you remember, but stop focusing on it. She said this, I can guarantee you one thing in life, that no matter how you try, how hard you try, and how much you do, you'll never be able to change the past. It's called that for a reason. It's the past. Take what you want to, take what you can, and don't let it change your future. That, that is some great advice, I think, about, about the past, definitely. Scott, I, yes. I just want to say I really appreciate, you know, everything that you're saying, just the rawness of it, the honesty that you're providing, you know, not only to us on this call, but also to our listeners, I think is so important because, I, you know, as you've said, as we've titled the podcast, it's addiction is hidden. And I think oftentimes not discussed. And I think once it does come up, a lot of people, you know, aren't sure where to turn. Uh, but I'm so glad to hear that you had some excellent resources in your corner that helped just to point in the direction of some supports. You know, I know that everyone's recovery, their journey to recovery, and, and as they continue on that path, it looks so different. But it sounds like your journey was one that you had, you know, support on, you were able to access that support, utilize it as you continue and really kind of get back to yourself and you know on this call as, as someone's talking we keep muted but I'm over here giggling away at you know at the funny parts and you're definitely pulling on my heartstrings but I appreciate just your authenticity on this call and I just wanted to say that thank you yeah. I also um I appreciate too we're talking about GA right and there's all different paths to recovery you know GA is not for everyone for some people it's great some people it's that one-on-one -on -one therapist but I think when you talk about going into that room and knowing that you're not alone, I think that's very important as well. Because oftentimes, you know, we have people calling in and they do feel alone and they feel that nobody understands, you know, what they're going through or how they got themselves in this situation. And I think that's important hearing it from you for them to know, like, you're not alone. And I think kind of that can segue a little bit into, um, you as a, you know, if you want to tell us a little bit about how you got involved in being, you know, a certified peer recovery advocate 
and you know what you do in that role and and how you can help people who are struggling out when i was in clinical treatment the clinician knew that a big part of my recovery was going to be helping other people because my wife always said this this happened for a reason it it derailed us it put a lot of struggles on us on a financial basis and you know rebuilding relationships and 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 all that but she she said it happened for a reason we need to find out what that that reason is if the reason was only that my kids would be so educated about gambling that they would never even think about going forward not that they wouldn't bet on a football game or wouldn't go to a casino because, you know, but they understand what to look for. They understand that how it could just destroy anybody. Recognizing that that would be a big part of my recovery and, and help me. I was introduced to this other gambler who was dealing with a lot of the same things I was dealing with, uh, legal battles and going through the system and you know, uh, trying to just get a grip on what happened to him. And I was introduced to that person prior to taking the role with uh, New York State, by the way, this goes back several years. Um, and it was a weekly meeting supervised with a clinician. So it was the three of us. and. And, and, and the goal was, is, just, is to let him know, very, very quiet, very internal guy, you know, doesn't, wasn't very open. And, you know, a GA was not going to work for him. There's no way he was walking into a GA room. There's no way he was going to a public forum to, to discuss these matters. Because he was, it was so private to him. Uh, so destructive as was mine. So it was, it was 52 consecutive weeks of a, of a session. So I would do my session and then have a session with, with the three of us. And it was so rewarding to me to see over the progression of, a, of a several sessions and a couple of months later to see how he was able to understand that this disease just makes you do things that you would not ordinarily do. And it, it was extremely rewarding to me. So, you know, the, the being a sponsor in GA or, or knowing and letting people know that they can just pick up the phone and call me was, was just something that was so incredibly rewarding to me that I would, because I have no problem sharing. I, I have no problem standing up on the mountaintop and saying, gambling destroyed me. And here's how, and here's why, and, and understand it. And if you don't believe it, that's okay. But if you want to take something away from it, it's these experiences that I went through that could actually make you maybe think twice about moving forward with your, with your problem gambling. So that parlayed into just kind of hounding the New York Council, if you will. Um, I don't give up too easily, um, but the New York Council wasn't ready, you know, a couple of years ago. This this resource, this added resource, which was which was by the way, Oasis, 
really was starting to push in the direction of, of peer coaches, uh, both in the alcohol and drug addictions, uh, and then, you know, in this gambling addiction. So that, you know, they were pushing it. So when this idea came up, um, I got a call and do you want to? And literally within 15 days, I was, I, I took the training session, I took the ethics session, um, and I was trained and certified and ready to go. And, and just two weeks ago, I passed the written part of that exam as well. So uh, that certification was, was, I was on it. I was like, let's go. I know it's important. It fills, it fills a gap. It allows a, a individual who's struggling to talk to someone who was, was through it. And I don't really care what type of gambling you are. It's, it's at the end of the day, it's what it does to your mind. So if you're a sports better, if you're a lottery player, if you're a casino player, online poker, uh, horse betting, uh, whatever, bingo, or you're addicted to Candy Crush, which is, by the way, a very addictive game because, by the way, you have to buy points to go forward because you can end up spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on it. So it, it was extremely important to me. So it was a role that I was so excited to do. And I can tell you, <laughs> my wife was as excited as I was because I think we find we finally got to the point where this was the reason. This is why it happened because if at the end of the day we can help one person, 10 people, 100 people, that's the goal. Is to get those individuals or family members who are struggling with this addiction to to understand it. To really understand that your resources are there that could help you get through it, to move forward and not look back. So, you know, since we're on the topic of getting people connected to care, would you mind sharing a little bit about what it would look like for someone to be connected to you? Like what, what are those first interactions look like? What, what are the goals that you guys are working towards? Well, that's, that's uh, interesting. Individually based, of course. What, what you'll get from me when you pick up the phone, call me, or even the initial communication is a text, um, or preferably a Zoom where you have that face-to-face -face connection, you're going to get someone who's listening to you, who's hearing where you are at, and understanding what you need for your recovery, right? Because everybody's recovery is different. You, you have, I'll call them kids. You have husbands, wives, you, you have, uh, you know, maybe um, a brother or sister. You, everybody's situation is different where they are at financially, where they're at in the responsibility stages of their life, just to understand where they're at, share bits and pieces of, of my story that are applicable to theirs. So if they're, worried about the financial side of it. The financial side of it's really struggling because of, of that. So, you know, I bring in my 
professional experience. And I say, well, listen, if there's if there's two or three hundred dollars a week that you're dropping in in gambling, well, why don't we throw that two hundred dollars a week into a mutual fund that you can't touch? And I show them what that mutual fund will be supposedly in 30 years. No touching. I'm not talking about day trading. I'm not encouraging anybody to go and start, you know, uh, hedging their investments. It's a mutual fund. Everybody has a, a lot of people have 401ks, whatever. Put that $200 a week in a mutual fund. And in 30 years, I show them the number. And they're like, oh my God, short-term, long-term. Start thinking long-term. So start changing your thought process. That's the goal. But what, what really what they can expect is that everybody is in a different space, different place. They're going to understand where they are. I'm going to help them get to where they need to be. And that may be, here's resources. Here's something to read. While you're waiting to get into a, a clinical program, let's talk. What I have assessed as the primary requirement for a peer-to-peer -peer successful relationship is just complete honesty, 100% honesty. For now, you may still be lying to your wife or your parents or your friends or your employer or whatever, okay? I'm not going anywhere with what you say. I'm ethically bound, I think we all are, to not discuss anything about their, their program, not with their spouse, not with their parents, not with anybody. It's their program. It's their recovery. It's their goals. Where do you want to be? And there's resources to get you there. And the resources have, you know, is is what they, I don't want to say what they need, but yes, what, the, what they need and, and what we can offer. And I know, Scott, like, you know, we've been able to connect a few clients to you. Um, well, I have personally, and it's been great because especially sometimes, you know, someone will call in and based on their availability, they might not be able to see a clinician for a week just just because it doesn't fit their schedule. But being able to, you know, connect them to you before that first session, just so that they feel like they can connect with someone who's gone through what they're going through and who's also been through the Problem Gambling Resource Center program. You know, you have also done the same thing. You've been there. You've experienced, you know, the clinical support as well as the peer support. So it's really just, just that great kind of wraparound, wraparound service that we're, we're able to, to offer. I think it's very important that, that all these resources become available for the, the addicted gambler, the, someone who's struggling, because it gives them opportunities and options that weren't available when I was in the deep part of it. You know, there were several times that, it, you know, you think back, okay, because during it, I didn't care what anybody says. You know, I had a friend, we went to the Bahamas and he was sitting next to me and we were playing and I was playing and playing and playing and playing and playing and playing and he was playing, right? And, you know, if he had said to me at that point, hey, Scott, what the hell are you doing? I'm going to say, I might have said to him, yeah, shut the hell up, you know? But the fact is, is that there was no resources back as there is now. You know, there was no direction. There was no place for me to go. And maybe, I don't know. I don't know what ha would have happened. But just maybe if I was able to connect with someone 
and hear this story and, and be like, oh my God, am I talking to myself? Is, is, that's me. That's me. So am, do I want to get there? Or do I want to realize that maybe I got a problem? Maybe I can go in a different direction. And maybe it just wouldn't have been as bad as it was. So these resources are just, I just think they're incredible. And I, and I really fostered that to, to the peer, right? So just having that ability to call and, and just, if you are gonna, if, if you wake up Saturday morning and, and you're like, oh my God, I need to gamble, I need to gamble, just pick up the phone, call your GA sponsor, call me, call the resource center. And put your other resources in place, your personal resources, your good friends, your, your sister, your parents, uh, or, or someone, or your priest, or your rabbi, or whoever it is. Just pick up the phone. You may still end up making that bet, but just give it a shot because the resources are here. Something that you said I just wanted to kind of highlight it because I know early when we were talking, you were saying when you got that disc in the mail, right, you were able to have access to gambling anywhere, anytime. And just over the past 10, 20 years, I mean, even in this past year, we've seen a, a very large increase in gambling accessibility and availability, whether it's online gambling, right? We've got sports betting coming to the pipeline. That's going to be, I mean, it's already legalized, but the rollout's going to be coming real soon. Um, obviously, we've got casino gambling. In New York State, they have a few more licenses that they're trying to add on to continue to expand that accessibility. And, you know, as we've said it a million times, we'll say it a million more, we are neutral on gambling. Um, but it's just important to highlight that when that accessibility increases, that risk also increases to have problems, right? But so do the resources, right? Over the past decade, even you said, you've seen how the New York Council on Problem Gambling has expanded those resources to try and expand that support network, right? We have over a hundred clinicians, at least across the state of New York, just for that one-to-one. We have inpatient programs, outpatient programs. Now we've got this peer program off the ground, GA, Gammonon. There are so many different supports available that it's it's a, a beautiful thing because that way, you know, if someone does wake up on a Saturday, on a Tuesday, on a, a whatever day they wake up, right? And they say, wow, you know, maybe, maybe I want to talk about this. There are so many more options to have that conversation and so much more support available. So I appreciate you saying that. And again, I just wanted to highlight it because I thought that that was really important. Thank you. It is. And I actually had a, an opportunity to speak to security manager of a local casino. Uh, just a one-on-one personal conversation. No, no, no intent of, of you know, where that conversation is going. But the, the discussion was this. He has seen personally an increase of distressed gamblers within his facility personally has has personally paid for an uber ride for someone just to get the hell out of the casino and he says he's never even thought that would be something that has just grown more and more and it's he says it's getting to be if not daily two, three, four times a week. So it's, it's scary. And the accessibility is there. See, we used to have to go. It used to be a destination. Going back to when I was younger, right? 
It was a destination. You would have to travel somewhere for, for where I geographically lived, right? Long Island. I would have to drive to Jersey. I would have to drive to Connecticut or I'd have to fly to Aruba. I would have to fly to Bahamas, right? It was a destination. Well, that is my destination could be right here where I'm sitting. I could be on the train on my phone gambling. And I and believe it, I, I've seen it. I've literally traveled to Manhattan watching a gentleman just gamble. Slots on his phone. And I, you know, hesitant to approach, to be honest with you. It's so true. The accessibility is definitely going to cause more people who are experiencing problems. And it's not just the individual that is impacted by the problem. We all know that, okay? It's families, it's communities, it's employers, friends, you name it, society, right up to the government. It's, it, the impact is so widespread from one individual gambler. All right, so there's so many opportunities to gamble, but if anybody you know is struggling, I think, We've, we've set, talked about the resource center, anybody in New York state can call and family member, friend, whoever can get resources and get connected to care. Um, so, you know, as we kind of wrap up, Scott, I was hoping you could just tell us, you know, what would you say to somebody who is in recovery from, from gambling? So I was listening to a motivational speech by Steve Harvey, and I, I hope that I do it a little bit of justice. Here it goes. You can't drive a car looking in the rearview mirror. You just can't. If you keep looking in the rearview mirror, you're going to keep crashing your car. There's a reason why the rearview mirror is this big. And there's a reason why the windshield is this big. There's a reason for it. All the rearview mirror does, it allows you to see what you passed. And it allows you to prevent what you passed on coming up upon you again. That's all the rearview mirror is about. The windshield, the windshield is for the future. It's where you're going, where you're meant to be, and where you're headed. The past is always there. You can see it. You can see it in that little rearview mirror. Stop staring at it. Don't allow it to crash your car. That's beautiful. Scott, we really, really appreciate your presence today on our, on our podcast. We appreciate your honesty, your authenticity, your openness to share your story for all that are listening. As always, this is the Hidden Addiction Podcast. If anyone is seeking any information, resources, or help in regards to their uh, problem gambling or that of a loved one, you can always reach out to a resource center and we'll see what we can do to get you access to supports. Thanks so much for listening.